Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. We welcome a wide and exceptionally impressive array of guests, business leaders, HR leaders, academics, practitioners, consultants, and authors to talk about the most timely, relevant, and challenging issues that are influencing the workplace today. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish McFarland-Steed. All right, welcome to the show. We have a great show today, but first, Trish, how are you? What's happening? I'm good. You know what? A lot is happening. I actually... I'm going to talk kids one more. This is the last time. And then I'm never going to mention it again. You ready? It was Jack's last high school sport baseball game ever. Like this is it. This is it for my kids who have done like every sport under the sun. Last night was the last game played at Bush stadium here in St. Louis. Nice. Right. Got a couple hits, made some amazing diving catches. They had the lights on. They had the announcer, the walk-up music. They had them on the jumbotron for all the replays. And he hit a triple. It was amazing. Like talk about wrapping up your entire high school career in sports. Like it was time. It was just about perfection. I would say, you know, it was close to it. Did you get to hand out the orange slices in in the fifth inning? I I know. No, I did not. (laughs) You know what? What What I've learned is that these stadiums are very strict about every single thing. Like the boys couldn't even put on their cleats to a certain point and they couldn't touch certain things, but one thing I found pretty interesting was the coaches did say if they wanted to bring their phones onto the field, they could, it was kind of at your own risk. Right. But that way they were out there actually like taking selfies in between innings and stuff. And I don't think the big leaguers bring the phones out to, they the, to don't. the field when they, they play. Don't. They're but, probably um, used to the whole thing. Yeah. But both teams brought their freshmen, sophomores, uh, juniors and seniors. And so every kid got to play, which was also really cool. So, and we All won. Right. Good stuff. Even better. (laughs) All right. We have a great show today. We're going to welcome back a friend of the show, frequent guest Ben Brooks in a second. Before we welcome Ben back to the show, I do want to thank our friends at Paychex, Trish. This episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement, and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Nearly one third of U.S. employees say their work schedule still remains unpredictable as a result of the pandemic factor they report as having a significant effect on their overall well-being, causing financial stress, feeling disconnected from family and friends, et cetera. And this appears to be affecting younger generations the most. To learn more about this and how you can optimize your work scheduling to help better support your employees, please visit payx.me slash schedules today. So and thanks to our friends at Paychex. All right, let's welcome back to the show, Ben Brooks. Ben uh, was inspired by his successful CEO and executive coaching practice. He saw an opportunity to democratize executive coaching and empower employees at scale. He invested his life savings, Trish, that's serious, into founding Pilot with a mission of ensuring everyone feels powerful at work. And Pilot's won many awards along the way. So I it think really it's going has. pretty well. Uh, welcome back to the show, Ben Brooks. How are you? Thrilled to be here. What a great way to start my day. You know awesome. what? And we have looked. It is your fourth triumphant return. Well, third triumphant return, fourth visit with us, right? Number five, Ben Brooks, is when the gifts happen. So I'm just planting the seed. Let's get this book. Let's see. I want I need to I I want the the medal, the pen, the sash, the merit badge. That's right. What merit badges? I like that. I like that. Yes. I do like that. (laughs) Well, welcome well, it's great to have you back, Ben. Yeah, and, and so you listeners might recall, Ben, we started 2022 on this yeah. podcast with you as our guest, kind of kicking off the year and teeing things up for what we all expected would be a, a challenging and interesting year. And it certainly has proven to be uh, with even things we would have never guessed, even still after two years of pandemic, like the first half of 2022 has been kind of nuts. So let's just start off with, Let's do like a mid-year update. Uh, maybe give a little update on Pilot, of course. Uh, I know, I know that's that's churning along fabulously. But also, maybe some things from your perspective you've seen in the first half of 2022 in in, in your world and in the world of work, maybe a little more broadly. Well, I think when I, speaking of merit badges, I, when I was a Boy Scout, we went to this camp in the Florida Keys, and we would kayak up to these islands like seven days in camp in a tent in the heat. You know, it sounds, it was, it was rougher than it sounds in Florida Keys. It was sort of when you're just out in nature and have one liter of water to bathe with every day and things. But we had a motto, ETU, expect the unexpected. 
which I think is a pretty interesting tie to 2022 and 2021 and 2020. And I think that there's always been so much uncertainty. We'll talk about some of the changes that I've seen sort of in the market. But on the, on the personal update, I, I uh, just ran a half marathon, my first ever in my life. Congratulations. I, I, I didn't do personal goals in 2020 or 2021, which I found was a huge bug, not a feature. Felt a little listless, kind of expecting the unexpected was more just like resign myself to do nothing and have no expectations or commitments. Um, so I've set some goals. So I just was in San Diego, ran Sunday morning with a, a friend. I never run more than six miles until this year. So oh to, 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 yeah, I got a couple 13 plus training uh, run training miles uh, in New York. And uh, had a great run, but I'm a little, if you hear me grunt a little bit, I'm still got a little bit in the tush and the legs uh, from, from, uh, from my Sunday run. So what, I mean, now that you've done it, is this something yep. you think I want to do it again, or I want to go farther? Like, I know it's just a day after, but yep. too, soon, too soon, but I love the idea of doing something outside of my comfort zone consistently. Okay. My friends and I have talked about, I have a dear friend of mine that I did this with, and we talked about, you know, one of the the ways to that aging accelerates tremendously is when you stop learning, learning and aging, you know, you kind of have the, your aging curve goes way up as the learning curve goes down. So I said, what is it? It may, it may be running, but it could be something totally different. So um, I'm going to see, but I'll certainly maybe on my fifth merit badge appearance, I can share what my next uh, Ooh, thing I is. Like and, you know, and, 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 you know, we've had a great year business wise. I mean, companies are really focused a lot on their, their teams and investing in, culture. And I think, you know, learning and development has always been this kind of nice thing, but I think companies are realizing it's critical to retain, you know, that exit interviews are saying that's one of the main reasons people are leaving, no growth, the, the disconnection from their manager, not seeing that they have a future there. Plus there's a skill gap to be ready for this wild, expect the unexpected world we live in to succeed in hybrid, to develop relationships, you know, virtually, et cetera. So, now uh, we've been growing. We've got great customers. We learn a lot. Our team's growing. We've got a bunch of open roles now. So I've had a good year. And one of the things I've experimented with for myself, that's a kind of a personal and work thing together is every quarter I'm doing a week of remote work somewhere around the world. And oh, wow. so I'm kind of fusing this and like just seeing what it's like. So I did Q1. I went to Panama, the country, and, you know, had a great experience in Panama City and but, you know, two weekends on, around us, I had about 10 or 12 days there. And I just did Los Angeles for you know, about 10 days, including the half marathon in San Diego and had a great experience. And Q3 is TBD about where I got a couple finalist locations, but I had to set up a whole sort of mobile office. But I find that my creativity and perspective, just getting out of my home office and my routine is really, really, really uh, buoyed. And it's sort of a way to kind of find a middle ground between time off uh, and working that working somewhere else that I'd like to be such that I can shut off at five o'clock and take a training run through Beverly Hills or have a great, you know, Mexican dinner or go to the beach is a really nice kind of blended in between. So it's been a really fun thing that I'm really excited about as well. I like this idea of your hybrid work, hybrid workplace, right? Exactly. Um, it's interesting that you're doing that. Can you maybe talk a little bit about like, what are you experiencing though, now that you're actually getting out and about and trying to work in these locations? It, how is it? Because a lot of people are still kind of right where they live. They haven't traveled. They haven't really maybe been on a plane, train, you know, any other place. What do you think? Because it sounds like you've been both within the country and outside the country is logistically. How is that working? You know, it sort of depends on people's role. I spend a lot of time on Zoom with private clients, with in sales, live coaching webinars and stuff. So, you know, there's different people can do stuff out of a coffee shop, maybe. Um, I need a quiet environment with high bandwidth and good lighting and all those sorts of things. So I have a lot of, um, uh, I don't know if they call it performance anxiety or logistics anxiety, workability anxiety is probably the best term. So yes. I've invested in, you know, a mobile second monitor. So I've got two monitors and a great laptop stand. I, I pack a, a keyboard and external thing. I have a mobile light. So I've got a whole thing in my carry-on bag of a mobile office. It doesn't, it doesn't weigh a lot, but it was an investment. Um, to get the right setup, because just being on my laptop compared to being at home with my lights and my monitors and cameras and curved things and gigabit internet um, is a huge change. Um, and also having an, you know a background and environment that I'm I feel good in and things like that has been a big thing. But also you know figuring out how to not be so overscheduled that I have time to enjoy the place. I was I think when I was in Panama I was working extra long days. And I thought, well, maybe this is a week where I have a day that's 80% as long. So I, I have the time to be you know, yeah. spontaneous or even just if I need to you know, go through emails, I can do it by the pool. 
Yeah, it sort of defeats the purpose a little bit to go to an exotic place like Panama or a fun place like L.A. and then spend 14 hours a day in your room or your Airbnb or your hotel, whatever the place may be. Right. And I'm not really getting out at all. You might as well have just stayed home. Totally. Totally. And I will say the difference between Panama, where I don't really know a lot of folks and L.A., where I know a gazillion people. (laughs) It was a big change for me to like manage my schedule when everyone was seeing this, Oh, you're here. Let's hang out. Let's get down. Let's do it. You know? And so I think also just, you know, each time I'm learning more about how this works, but it's a high learning curve, but it's also a little bit like the marathon, half marathon training. It's out of my comfort zone of being in my home office and in a good way stretches me and has empathy for people that are on the road more, et cetera. One thing that impresses me about you is you're always, you seem very busy, but not busy doing sort of meaningless work, right? You're really busy doing meaningful work. How do you, someone who is always kind of traveling and doing work and how do you find those times though, where you get to just think? Because I think a lot about whether you're a business owner like yourself and and needing that creativity and that spark time, how do you build that in? Because I would think that would also be difficult, right? You're talking a little bit about those meetings and so forth, but like, what about how do you incorporate just time to think and be creative into your work? Yeah, we, we talk in pilot um, kind of three levels of thinking is when you're on the horse in the helicopter or in the jet. Hmm. And the horse is, is thrilling, right? Immediate feedback. You can go right, left. You can stop. You, you really feel the work. Um, as a business owner, I'm on the horse a lot. I think a lot of us in our careers are on the horse, a lot of doing, right? Helicopter, you see a bit more perspective. You're agile, but you're up a little bit higher, um, there's you know, more to manage in certain ways, like the higher stakes, right? Fall off a horse, you're less likely to die than if the helicopter crashes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the jet is a whole separate thing, right? You're, you're really just, you're 35,000 feet. You're, you don't do a 180, right? In two seconds, right? It can take 10 minutes to turn a plane around, you know, use a lot of instrumentation and data. So I think part of your, you know, to response to your question is I try to get off the horse is a big thing. So some, you know, First step is get in the helicopter on occasion, you know, and, and just look at a couple months, right? Think, you know, couple, you know, like what's the rest of this year look like? What's next quarter look like? But then there's also the jet, which is sort of like, you know, am I happy in life? What matters to me? What's changing in the world? What am I noticing? Where, where do I want things to go? And if in survival mode of the last two years as a business owner, as a person living in, you know, the epicenter of COVID here in New York City, et cetera, I've been on the horse probably more than ever. I've been on the pony. You know, I mean, right. another, you know, um, that pony is tired. That pony needs some water. So, so I think, I, you know, giving myself the permission, even on my flight yesterday, got on, you know, got on my, you know, big seven eighty seven Dreamliner from LA to New York. I love a big plane, and I just made a commitment to not um, to do any work on the plane, right? Um, and I didn't even turn on the screen. I had a big TV screen. Didn't turn that. I just like I did some reading. I did something. Listen to some music, some podcasts. So some of it is like dialing back the stimulus and the commitments. Because whether it's my schedule and my to-do list and obligations, you know, or it's our, you know, phones that we're like, you know, looking at all the time that, you know, kind of icky looking glow, we get looking at the thing all the time, just to kind of both of those things, I need to kind of create the space. I don't know what's going to happen in that space, but I think we're really conditioned to not leave any sort of voids and without kind of a clearing or a meadow, there's no possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we're, we're seeing people take more of those moments? Because, I mean, I was kind of looking back at our conversation from January and even just before we jumped on, on to record this, we were talking about, you know, people are more checked out from work itself. I'm starting to feel like you, I I find myself taking more of those moments where I feel less guilty. If I am just going to go outside and sit on my front porch and read a book, which I don't often do, or are you, are you seeing that not just with your, yourself and your team, but like, even with your clients, are people feeling maybe is disconnection as questions is disconnection from work. Can it also be a good thing? Yeah. I think, you know, healthy boundaries, uh, you know, and, you know, trade-offs associated with, I don't particularly like the word, the word balance. Cause I think it sort of sets mm-hmm. people up to fail, but you know, but the right sort of work-life integration and, you know, I think people are getting, disconnected from work, but almost in a job bankruptcy sort of way, like being checked out is different than having healthy boundaries and having space for oneself. And so you see a lot of people sort of declaring job bankruptcy and just saying, F it, I'm quitting. And I think the stats, you know, I think last August or September or something like a third of Americans that quit their jobs didn't have a job when they were quitting. So that's a sign, right? That like often that's, that is a, you know, extreme remedy to burnout or fatigue or frustration 
is like, I just can't handle it anymore. And so I think we're more focused on kind of upstream, listening to some of those signals and giving yourself the time on the front porch to read a book or the flight to not work or the five o'clock shut off when you're in Panama is kind of more incremental proactive measures rather than the just, let me just blow this up because I can't handle it anymore. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, one of the things, uh, Ben, I wanted to talk to you about or ask you about really is you mentioned you're in New York City, right, which was a couple of years ago, the epicenter of the, you know, COVID outbreaks in the United States, just trauma at just a heightened scale and just disruption, tragedy, quite frankly. uh, I couldn't imagine what it was like to be in New York City uh, through those months. Obviously, you've been through that. And now we're sort of a couple of years in. Now, New York City, among other places, but I mentioned New York City because it's been in the news, it's kind of one of the epicenters of what's happening in the workplace and lots of workplaces, which is this real tension and, and frustration and, I don't know, like reticence of folks who are maybe being asked to return to physical workspaces and offices, uh, either full-time or at least more frequently than they'd like to, especially for folks who, you know, who have jo- the kinds of jobs that were able to go remote like yep. during the pandemic. Yep. Obviously, not not every job could do that. And yep. of course, all the frontline people and the first responders, et cetera, et cetera. But for folks who, you know, were in banking or finance or marketing or in tech, et cetera, et cetera, we're seeing tons and tons of tension about this. And, and overlaid on that is a kind of a unique New York City thing, maybe not unique, but at least more in the news is the mayor of New York City has been just pounding his drum at the bully pulpit to try to get corporations and workers back into offices in New York City. I think largely to try to help businesses who serve people who are coming into work in places like Manhattan and Brooklyn, et cetera. So I'd love for you to comment a little bit about that, what's going on in workplaces now, whether it's from your experience or your client experience and what your feedback you're getting from your clients. And maybe even on top of that, what you're hearing just being a New York City resident as well. Well, totally. Well, I'll start kind of close to home with New York. I mean, the, one of the things to understand about New York and politics is the, the biggest driver of New York politics is real estate. And commercial real estate, you know, is hurting, you know, and you've got people and, you know, look at Midtown as an example, the way that the model works in Midtown, right, is it's full of business travelers, and it's full of office workers. And it's also then at night full of tourists that go to Broadway, and they eat out, and they do these other things. And that's a really big tax driver. We have a big safety net in New York, we got, you know, provide a lot of great services to to our citizens and residents, a third of the city's immigrants, etc. It requires a lot of money. And real estate is a big part of funneling money. So I think the mayor's incentives are to get people back into offices to help, you know, the business drivers of sales tax and tourism taxes and real estate taxes and all of that. So it can fund his budgets for his city government. Right. And I think that's where his some of his alignment is. I think we're seeing, you know, a lot of executives and you've got folks that are some a lot of executives are are older. Right. And they're, you know, some baby boomers or on the older side of access. They didn't ever want or consent to hybrid or remote. It happened. It was a it was an arranged marriage, right? This is not something that they were like, oh, I love, I, I'm in love with this idea. Let's let's do this. And I think it was supposed to be temporary, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and all that. And then the genie's out of the bottle, and employees are kind of there's two hats an employee can wear. They can say, okay, what do I need personally? What does Ben need for his life? What does he want? Which includes not having to put on pants or uh, you know uh, not having to you know to get on a subway, you know, or, or do yeah. those sorts of things. But then there's like, what is functional as my role as a member of an organization, as an employee, as a part of my team, maybe as a manager? Employees are typically not asking the latter question. They're typically thinking in their self-interest. Labor's got all the leverage. They know they get jobs elsewhere. So it's like, I don't want to commute. I don't want to pay for parking. I don't want to like get the wardrobe or childcare things. Or, and and I some gas has doubled in the last yeah, year. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, the, you know, eating lunch out is 25% more expensive. Going to buy clothes is more expensive. The cleaner all of it, like it makes sense, right? But, you know, we're seeing that productivity is declining in some industries, right? That people in this model, and I'm a, I found a remote first company, so I'm very for remote work to be clear, but, you know, we haven't really enabled employees and managers with the skills to fully succeed in hybrid and virtual. You know, the bar is actually higher for employees if they work virtually than if they work in person. There's a lot that in-person provides as a structure, Virtually, employees like they don't they don't serendipitously run into people. They don't see if their colleague is struggling. They don't have someone they can turn to for help. They're not proactively managing relationships of someone they met in the cafeteria or went to a speaker or something like that. And I think what it's sort of gigifying a lot of white collar and knowledge worker roles 
you know, we saw gig workers, you know, drive a drive a, an Uber or deliver some food or do something mm-hmm. like this. But we're seeing it now in people in in engineering and in product and in sales, where it's really there's so I hear from HR heads, employees are having such little connection with the employer brand. They're like, I do a thing. They talk about their role or maybe their client group and the money they make. But it, to them, it's a gig. They can turn off this laptop, FedEx it back, get a new one, work for somebody else on the same tools. And so I think that's one of the challenges that I think some employers are thinking that in-person will help. So there's this pull to say, let's all get back. Let's all get here. And then they'll feel connected and we can do the lunches and have the speakers and do the feedback and the mentoring. But you know, proximity and performance aren't necessarily you know, causal. Right. We can be co-located and it can make no difference. And so it's a real, it's a messy time that we're in. And I think one of the other things is that control is an illusion. And you look at like Goldman Sachs, you know, a pretty command and control sort of organization with a lot of leverage and skin on incentives, right? Because a high percentage of comp there is incentive comp. And only about half the employees returned when it was required. Yeah, right? that, I know. Crazy. Crazy. Well, I wonder if we're, are we misremembering? Are these leaders misremembering and thinking it's sort of like, you know, when you when you talk to your parent, maybe, and they're like, oh, back in the, you know, 50s, 60s, whatever, it was a much better time. It was a more yeah. wonderful time. We all were better and we loved each other more and whatever. I don't know. I almost feel like when you're describing this, I'm thinking like it wasn't perfect when we were all working in a corporate office, right? Or in a workplace together. We still had all these same things. We were still talking about, disengagement, we were still talking about people who, you know, weren't connected to the employer brand. Um, we were spending all kinds of money on trying to develop these things and inclusion. And I don't know, I'm not saying it's better this way. I don't know. I don't know the answer, right? But it just feels like we're wanting to go back to something that in our head was better, but really it might not have been better. I'd almost rather say, let's, let's push this hybrid work so that we're going forward in a more thoughtful way, mm-hmm. um, trying to actually meet those needs and try and you know, yes, if you're less connected and you don't have those moments as a remote worker, well, what can we be doing to build instead? Maybe yes, it's yes. something we don't have yet. Do you find like, again, maybe back to your, your time to be creative, like when you're sitting there with your team thinking about ways, obviously with your business to have your clients have experiences that are more connected in the hybrid or remote world, um, are you are you optimistic that those things are going to be able to materialize fairly quickly? Or do you think it's going to take a lot of us much longer to figure this out? Yes. Uh, it's, I, I think I'm optimistic and <laughs> yes. pessimistic. I think both. You know? um, I think I'm optimistic because there's a ton of innovation and there's a ton of cool things with technology. I'm sort of pessimistic because humans resist change and are slow to change. Um, and there's not, it's, it's not, you know, I think there's a lot of, bl- there's a real blind spot amongst business leaders that this is something that we need to sort of adapt to beyond sort of like VPN or a home office budget. I think people have like been kind of at the food, water, shelter level of, you know, actualization in hybrid and remote. When in reality, I mean, part of pilot, part of the reason that people buy our product is they want employees to come together for more than just a work meeting, for some shared experience, to deepen, to create new relationships and to foster and deepen relationships, to, to be vulnerable. You know, whenever someone leaves an organization, one of the Best ways to retain people is have people have close relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, Gallup did a whole study of 12 million people about having a best friend at work. They wrote a book called Vital Friends. And, you know, it was like the ultimate retention hedge was a best friend at work. They talk you down, you'd miss some, et cetera. Now, if you don't see them, though, what does the friendship look like virtually and how do you do that? That's part of what we're trying to figure out. Um, but, I, you know, I think that there's just... You know, I, I met a colleague uh, um, in organizational development last week, and she's, uh, they are transgender. And they were saying, you know, they talk about the idea of, you know, they said through a trans lens, they said, you know, fluidity, right? It's a big part of, you know, where, where's gender and all this stuff. And, and they said to me, you know, I think about fluid working, that this idea of two days at home and three days in the office, well, it depends. You may have a work week where you're doing big product design. You should be in the office every day for five days. You may have another week where there's no reason to be in at all. And this, you know, arbitrary three days in doesn't make sense out of some rigidity. Now, at the same time, employees also need structure. You know, sometimes flexibility can devolve into volatility. You know, if you're waking up every day and you don't know if you're going to go into the office or not, the Mm -hmm. cognitive load the anxiety, the uncertainty, or even for people in your family or your personal life or your colleagues, 
you know, imagine showing up at a conference room, everyone's supposed to be there. And then Jimmy is like, oh, not there. Where's the Zoom? Like, you're like, there is none. And this room isn't established for like immersive AR type, you know, conferencing. That's that's a hot mess, right? So there's also, I think, a level of thoughtfulness for your colleagues. And what do we expect of each other? You know, if I'm your peer or your supervisor or something else, and I ask you to come in, and that means you have to adjust your child care. Are you pissed at me? Because of that, I think there's just some stuff around expectations and boundaries that we just are not navigating. And we're sort of just pretending and it's all like happening on the calendar and everyone has the right computer and that's enough. And it's clearly not. Yeah, it's difficult. And it's it's much more difficult than the old way where you sort of many organizations expected everybody just to show up every day. And it was the exception, right, to be working from somewhere else if you, if you weren't, say, someone who traveled for, for business. And then the pandemic era, right, where everybody was just home and we yep. just figured it out on the fly. And it was that there was no expectation of you being anywhere other than on your Zoom calls, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Yep. Some organizations, some larger ones uh, who have the resources and are being a little more thoughtful after it. I know recently uh, you've seen more, uh, you know, executive director, even C-suite titles like, you know, director of remote working yep. or you know, director yep. of hybrid working, et cetera, et cetera. They're elevating people, whether they're HR people or maybe they're operations people into, hey, we need to appoint someone pretty senior to lead our sort of strategic approach to what this new mechanisms and, and design of work is going to be. Otherwise, as you said, Ben, it's going to become more difficult because, oh, right, I, I couldn't imagine getting up, you know, each morning and not really having to figure out, it's hard enough to figure out like, you know, what shirt to wear versus, yeah. or, you know, am I, am I going to the office or not? You know, those kinds of things. To- totally. And I think that those, those roles that are being created, I think it it's important, but I mean, you think of even just a manager employee dynamic, which is probably one of HR's biggest heartburns, right? You think of a 40 year problem. How do we get middle managers to better frontline supervisors, every segment, every size of company, every industry around you. This is a core nightmare for HR is like managers and employees kind of coming together. Well, imagine when managers are not comfortable giving feedback, except in their office or in a conference room or employees don't really know how to run a one-on-one without kind of paper in front of them and the thing, or, you know, even coordinating, how do we use Slack or Teams? You know, I have a colleague on our, on our team, we have you know, great colleagues, but, you know, I would send this person Slacks and they would get it and they're like working on it, but I didn't know. And we had to have a, a, a micro feedback. They said, well, I need to know that like the message was received. I need sort of a read receipt and that you're on it. And we, we acknowledged that in Slack, it's simply an emoji. And we created sort of a shorthand that it was like a thumbs up. It's like, I got it and I'm working on it. That's all I needed. But I mean, this is a person who's a thousand miles away from me, who's newer at the organization. And the performance was there, but I was just getting anxious on the workability, the interface. So all of the like fine tuning or when someone, you know, is at home now and so then they pick up their kid at 3.30 from the bus, which is very important to them. I actually need to know that rather than them kind of pretend that they're going to sneak away. I want to protect that time for them, but they're like, but we need to create the cultures where people say, this is super important to me. I'm going to have to not be able to make meetings for a 30 minute window every afternoon. Yeah. Then I know, but employees don't, employees have always kind of like slink around and try to get away with it rather than say, hey, here's a core need. Let's plan around it and be transparent. It's highly more functional, but it takes a bit more sort of, um, uh, you know, a little, little courage you have to find to kind of put that out there and advocate for yourself and to be clear, but then you don't have anxiety where the boss is calling you and you're at the school bus and the kids are screaming, you're trying to mute out. Think of how stressful that is versus it being transparent and clear to be like, hey, like I'm at the school, you know, this is an emergency. I'm at the school bus. You know, this is what I do at this time. And if it is, then you can handle it. And if not, say, they'll say, oh my God, I forgot. I'm so sorry. Call me when you're back at your desk. And that's the kind of, and we talk like big structures and processes and tools, but oftentimes making hybrid work is like the emojis on Slack or it's the boundary around school pickups and some of those things that can make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's sort of that micro level negotiations that has to yep. be continuous, right? I've, I've seen a lot of people though too, who have maybe remained at their, their current employer and maybe leadership has changed, right? And so you try getting a new leader, or I guess even if you took a new position with a leader you're not yep. familiar with, and they operate completely old school, completely where you, you know, you don't have that sort of open feeling about being able to communicate. What would you tell someone who's maybe in that situation? Because I have tried to coach and counsel them myself, but I'd be curious, what do you say when someone's like, mm, I just don't feel like my boss is receptive to this? What can I do? Well, it's funny, you know, if someone starts at a company, they work such a bigger company, so have an onboarding program, 
right? And the onboarding has proven to be like one of the highest, if not the highest ROI investment in all of HR. You can predict someone's tenure performance conversations often from the first two to three weeks wow. of their employment, right? It's just, this, this is almost like prenatal care and uh, early education. You can just, it's this incredible thing, but we don't have onboarding for new reporting relationships, or for lateral moves, or for internal promotions. And so we have a bit of change blindness as employees and as managers and supervisors that when I go, and if I work at Microsoft and I quit, and then I go move to to paychecks, right? I'm like, this is a new game. I got a new boss. It's a new culture. I got to learn some stuff. I'm like, great. But if I'm at Microsoft and I go working from Sonia Mm -hmm. to Maria, Am I, or, or I'm in a lateral move or I don't necessarily say like, let me look at this freshly. What do they need? How do they like to work? So part of it is employees need to really lean into the partnership. A manager is a customer, you know, a manager has a budget. The budget includes compensation and benefit dollars or a certain number of FTEs. And they get to sort of choose who's on their team. They have, you know, especially in larger companies, they can swap some people out, counsel out, transfer. You are there as a part of their budget to help them get something done. The definition of management fundamentally is the achievement of results through others. You, if an employee on a team, you're one of the others trying to help them achieve results, knowing what those things are. And then their preferences, you may find that there's a man, your manager has zoom fatigue and you do too. You may actually have a lot more in common, but if you speak up and say that and say, can we do our one-on-ones as a call or can we take a walk and do our one-on-ones I'll be in my neighborhood and you're in your neighborhood and we both get some fresh air and get some steps in. They may be totally up for it. They may not, but that's a part of it, the initiation. Mm-hmm. And much like in a, you know, a romantic relationship or um, a close friendship, it takes two. And sometimes you, we always sort of assume that the person, the higher status, title, experience, age, comp is like the paternal initiator, but we're all adults in a workplace. So if you've got a thing where you want to pick up your kids or you want to do calls or you want to figure out, you find, wow, it seems like we're doing a lot in Slack that we probably should just have in a meeting or I want to organize, like whatever those things are, I think employees need to initiate more and suggest and propose, but also like a good salesperson, they need to do discovery. You get a new manager. How are you feeling about your career here? How's your relationship with your boss? You think you're going to be here in a year or two? Who is the best person? Who's the best person? Who's your right hand and your left hand and your last team and why? What drives you nuts about people that work for you? What are your freaking pet peeves? And by the way, what, what is your, like your, your, you know, catnip? What's the thing that you go crazy for that you just absolutely love, you know? And it's that asking and listening and being curious because sometimes managers won't even often will not think to even share any of this. Right. Yeah. And so you've got it. This I is a relationship a conversation like that. In my yeah. experience, yeah. What I would you think if someone, if someone did have that conversation with you either way, how do you think it, what do you think that might produce or be, make possible? Yeah, I think, I think that's great. I think that sets some, that it sets a good framework, right? For developing a relationship and developing a good working relationship where you both can be successful and you both are yeah. mindful of the other person on, on more than just task completion level, but more on okay. just you know, I, I care enough about you and your success and your well-being that I'm interested in learning how I best can work with you and vice versa. And I think that's important. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I've, I've heard this called cross-boarding, which I really love. I love that phrase. So, but what you described, thank you for so many examples too, because I think if you're a listener to this episode, you're definitely probably frantically writing notes like I just was. I think that's, they're, they're all very practical approaches that seem I don't want to use the word loving, but it seems very loving to your new boss, right? Your new leader, right? You're going and you're asking about their health and their well-being and their mental capacity. And I love this idea about the whole, the catnip and the pet peeves. I mean, that these are all easier things to do that don't feel quite so scary and won't produce anxiety, hopefully within the person who's going to ask those questions. It's something we built right into pilot called winning with your manager. And it's all about treating your manager like a customer. We know to treat external customers but they're an internal customer. You know, a manager is a gem, gem cutter, right? They can affect your comp, your other opportunities, the feedback, the assignments you get. They can solve problems. They can break down barriers. So that's got to be a very close relationship. And, you know, it's sort of like in sports, you often talk about, you know, what, what makes great coaches? Well, sometimes it's great players. 
And so getting employees, right, will help the manager be more successful and be a better manager by having better players or better employees. And so we really have to kind of instill in employees that this is a part of their role now. And it's always was, but even more so kind of managing up as a part of that, et cetera. And the more that employees Mm self-manage, the less that they get supervised and are micromanaged, which is a big driver of disengagement and disempowerment and attrition. And then employee and then the managers can develop instead. So you're, you know, but again, kind of it's sort of uh, people get as much help as they need. And if you show that you don't need a lot of micromanagement, then you can have higher level, more strategic connection with your supervisor rather than them feeling like they're pissing in your Cheerios. Yeah. I love that. Hey, Ben, uh, if you'd indulge me, hang out with us a few more minutes. I had one more thing I wanted to ask you, uh, and it's just something I was thinking about this the other day. We're recording this in early June, uh, first week of June as we're actually recording this, which is Pride Month in, in I, I was going to say in the U.S., but I think it's Pride Month all over the world, but which is great. And I'm a huge supporter of Pride Month. I was wearing my Pride t-shirt the other day when we did Thank our vlog that I'm super excited about. It's important to me personally. It's important, should be important to everybody. But here's the thing. I was, and lots of organizations, and quite frankly, including our own, like have, you know, done the thing with the rainbow logo yep. and put it on LinkedIn or Instagram or wherever you do it and sent out your, yeah, we support all everyone and, and sending all the right, saying all the right things, right? Yeah. It's pretty easy yeah. for an organization to say the right thing. It's not hard to figure out what the right thing is to say, and it's pretty easy to say it. But here's my question. I've read some things about, hey, like lots of organizations, that's kind of all they do. And if all you're going to do is change your your avatar or your, your logo, and whether it's Pride Month or for Black Lives Matter or other social causes, et cetera, like, I don't know, it seems kind of hollow and just performative. Yep. I don't know if that's even really a question, but A is, I'd love your thoughts on that. And B, like if, if you're gonna be an organization that actually does wanna do more than just kind of show support and, yep. and yep. think you're done, uh, what, can you, what can you do? What can you think about doing just to do a little bit more, I guess? Yeah, it, you know, there's this sort of virtue signaling that we do as individuals, yeah. and we also do it as organizations, right? That we signal we're on the right side of this, or we support this, or we, we, we value that, et cetera. But in reality, what people say they value is often different than what they actually value. And what they actually value is a function of their behaviors and their decisions. You know, Enron had the value of integrity chiseled in the marble of their lobby in Houston, that was clearly not their actual value, right? And so I think that, you know, it's, it's easy to have that rainbow avatar. And in some ways I feel really buoyed as I'm, I'm just for everyone knows, I'm, you know, very proudly, you know, a gay, a, one of, we're certified LGBT on business, supplier diversity, we're one of few SaaS businesses that are LGBT owned in the country. Um, and I've been involved in a lot of LGBT equality work over my career in corporate, um, in the nonprofit space, helping to repeal Don't Ask Don't Tell Us. This is near and dear, so t- Steve, I'm very, Touch that you're a great ally, you're bringing this up. I mean, talk about a great, just bringing up this question is an amazing expression of allyship and advocacy, including critical thinking around it, not just a celebrating a heritage month, Black History Month, you know, International Women's Day, you know, AAPI Awareness Month, but it's like really getting into sort of the meat of it. And the term that's used in the, in our community is pinkwashing, that, um, that if you, uh, you know, kind of, you know, we want, we're, we're all pro-gay in the month of June, but come July, it's like cover up that rainbow, screw the, you know, whatever. And what, what are those sorts of things? And there's just so much that, that we can do, but there's a great meme I posted. I don't know if either of you watched the show Succession. Um, it's on HBO, but the, the family owned business is, is Waystar Royco. It's this media company is super toxic, bad corporate citizen. But the meme was a rainbow flag over their logo, right? Just the joke of, even this horrible toxic company can just like virtue signal and it went viral and everyone sort of loved it. But in, I, I wrote an article in HR executive magazine about this last June and I can s- share the link, but it was all about how HR can actually do something around LGBT uh, equality and, and frankly, all sorts of different functions. And it's, you know, from, from recruiting, from engagement, you know, if you do engagement, figuring out, or you have an HCM or HRIS system, have people self-identify as LGBTQ in your system so you can look at promotion rate data, you can look at pay equity, you can look at retention, you can look at performance because the data can help prove it. You know, if you're in staffing and deployment, thinking about we, when I was in management consulting, we had to train our, our resourcing and staffing people to say, hey, if someone's LGBTQ, you may not want to send them to Saudi Arabia for consulting, which was a big growth market for us, right? So there's like some, some thoughtfulness. Hey, if you're I've, I've been a, to Saudi Arabia, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you're having a, a, a holiday party, 
you know, or a company event, how do you make, it was like sort of unclear if same-sex partners could even go, right? Because they use marriage, they use words like spouse, even before this, before gay marriage was legal. So it's like, well, I actually even can't even have a spouse, you know, is this so, there's, you know, your benefits, you know, do you have, you think about a lot of, you know, maternity leave has been a big focus on it. Thankfully, we're making a lot of progress, but it probably should include like paternity in general and whether you, that's, you know, by birth, by adoption, or by surrogacy, mm-hmm. like either way for sort of growing family. Yeah, those- I do think there's been a shift to kind of moving towards quote unquote parental leave, right? Correct. Versus maternity or paternity, which is of course a good thing for lots of reasons. Yeah. Total. So there's, so whether it's benefits, it's internal comms, it's engagement, it's L and D like the reverse mentoring, how to talk about this. I did reverse mentoring with executives when I was in the corporate world about LGBT things. And I, and at one point I could tell they're kind of dancing around some stuff. I'm like, it sounds like you're really curious about the trans thing, transgender thing. And they were like, yes, we don't want to say the wrong thing. And we have so many questions and do people actually get surgeries and what's the thing? And they were just, they, they meant well, but they were so scared to say or do anything that there's like a, a sitting on the hands and being sort of polite. And we were able to, to get into that. And that's a, a really critical thing. But, you know, this is a, a critical thing. We have a, a, a colleague that, um, that I won't mention their name, but they're in the HR tech space. Uh, someone that you both know that, are moving their family because they have a transgender member of their family in the state that's passed some laws and they don't feel that um, it's it's a place that they can live anymore. It's a place they've lived their whole life. And they're moving to a state that they feel can be more embracing of their child and they're being protective parents. And, you know, unfortunately with remote and hybrid, their, their employers are, are able to support that. But it's, um, but this is a tenuous time that we're in. And so, and that there's a lot, you know, a lot of DEI efforts were based on in person. We're having an event, a speaker, a party. And so I think we're seeing a lot of the momentum cool on DEI because that we haven't figured out how to make that, you know, inclusive cultures happen beyond just the recruiting quotas um, to make it a place where people feel welcomed and celebrated. Yeah. I love your examples and thank you for sharing them. I, I wonder too, like part of it was when we all started working, it wasn't something we were feeling allowed to even ask those questions. And I, I'm thank you for saying that sometimes people really want to do something and they just don't know how to ask. They don't know what to say. Um, and again, that's whether it's, you know, black lives matter or whatever. I think it's, you use the word ally and I would love to have you for anyone listening who doesn't truly understand what that means, because for me, it meant learning about using my own power or perceived power to actually pull other people in, give yep. them some of my opportunities. Can you talk about what allyship means to you and what your definition is and how people can embrace that versus just sort of changing a logo? Because it's a very yep. different thing. To- totally. You know, allyship has a spectrum, right? So if you're thinking of being an ally, you don't have to chain yourself to a fence, right? That could be part of it. Um, be a protester, which is can be amazing, civil disobedience. But it can be the smallest thing to sort of speak up in a meeting when people are just kept referring to guys and hey guys and you guys and say, hey, you know, it's actually not all guys here. You know, the smallest thing around language or microaggressions can be bigger thing. You know, showing up in an event, that's a big thing. If there is in-person events, being there means a lot, you know. Uh, a safe spaces flag in an office that's like, you can come to me if you're having an issue. Some people will not tell, you know, you, you have a breakup or a divorce, you normally share that. But if you're LGBTQ, you might not because people didn't even know you're with someone or it's complicated or what's going on, you know. So I think being sort of, and then just being curious, you know, I think that that's a, a part of it, you know, that like if you think about, you know, medical, most people don't know about PrEP. It's this medical intervention that can help people not get HIV, gay or straight. It's a pill you can take. We literally are at the level of science now if you take a pill every day, you're essentially guaranteed to not contract HIV, if, you know, regardless of like behaviors and things. Well, that's an important thing for people to like know about and to make sure people are empowered with information, no different than family planning and contraceptive, you know, for women, you know, that that's an important thing. So that like, just to get educated or where the resources are, if someone's struggling, one of the things that's happening in employee resource groups for LGBT, that's a huge change from 15 or 20 years ago is increasingly a lot of parents of LGBT employees are joining the group and seeking from fellow colleagues, hey, I've got a son or a daughter, you know, younger, mm-hmm. older, they're in college or in high school, whatever. They're, they're just, I don't know what to do. I, I, I like, how do I, to your question about being an ally, joining the group, you know, being around, attending events, getting educated, hearing the speakers, reading the books, that they're wanting to be better parents and they're using the company's infrastructure to do that, which is a really beautiful thing. You know, obviously giving to causes, going to galas, you know, volunteering, but also just, being that safe place that people can be and to know that they're affirmed and accepted and included, you know, 
asking about their partner, asking about their weekend. If they go to Provincetown or something like, what's Provincetown like? What do you do? You know, everything, you know, um, you know, whatever it is and not just, you know, being reductive or assuming things or being hush hush about it either. Cause not every, you know, gay person's in drag or going to brunches or whatever people's, you know, stereotype. There's a quite a wide spectrum, but I think it's that sort of curiosity and that sort of inclusion of, you know, bring your partner. Are you, are you seeing somebody? I'd love to have you come to dinner with me and my partner or fiance yeah. or whatever. It's like those, it's just treating people with the same decency, but it requires a level of thoughtfulness. And I think that that's, that's a part of it. And that's where and oftentimes it's the smallest thing, you know, we'll be celebrating, you know, uh, you know, women's, you know, women's month, but you mm-hmm. go to a company that has free beer on tap, but they charge women a dollar for tampons in the bathroom. Like bullshit. Right. Right. It's like, so you needed someone to speak up and it may be that the facilities director is a man mm-hmm. and hasn't thought about this in the contract or anything else. And it's like, Hey, should we put out some, like in a nice jar, some like really like good quality, you know, tampons or anything else. Right. Like that's a small gesture. Right. Yeah. But think about what that would, would signal to like to say, like, that we get it, that we're not just here to provide beer, but we can actually like we're going to provide this. We have aspirin and Band-Aids for everybody. Why wouldn't we have, you know, sanitary products as well? And so it's sometimes those little things that go a long way to say that, like, we get it. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's ask people who know, too. And not everyone is willing to come totally. and step up and tell you what, like, you yeah. know, they don't, they want, they don't want to be the person to fix everything, but yeah, there's always going to be whatever the, you know, whatever the group is that you're trying to, to be more inclusive for, um, who are willing to help and step up. My last question though, Ben, is it, you mentioned, you know, people may be coming together because they have a child or, you know, a college student, this new generation coming in, um, as a mom of kids that just graduated, they are much more, apt to talk about their own sexuality, their friend's sexuality. It's, it is that fluid sort of conversation. If you're in a workplace where, you know, the workplace culture isn't that fluid yet, what can we as leaders be doing to prepare our workplace for Gen Z who is now graduating college? They're getting into our workplaces, right? And it could be something that drives them away from our organization without us even thinking about what, what would you say to those HR leaders or CEOs, people with, with power in those positions? Well, I think, you know, reading for Gen Z, who a lot of them are already looking at millennials and saying, nah, I don't want this hyper ambitious, yeah. uh, like, you know, like the finances haven't worked out for millennials. They're all like up to their neck in debt and student loan and they can't buy a house. They're getting married. So we're already having a huge issue of making the idea of like work attractive mm-hmm. to Gen Z in general. And that sort of fluidity or different lens certainly is in the LGBTQ realm, but in all sorts of other things, right? It's just a yeah. sort of a broader mindset that applies to many contextual domains. So I think we've got to continue to like innovate, to be attractive and to be open and to, you know, get out of our comfort zones and to get over some of our biases. And so it's even as simple as, you know, you know, in a performance calibration conversation or a recruiting conversation we may assess people a particular way. We had, we had you know, someone assess someone and they're like, oh, I think this person was being a little too um, aggressive. And I was like, well, but like that person is a black female. Do we have a different lens on that behavior than if it were to be a man just being an assertive leader, right? Mm-hmm. And so part of being an ally and getting ready is even with Gen Z sort of behavior, say, okay, if we take off the face, part of the reason everyone hates millennials or hated millennials is millennials were not, and I'm an old millennial, I'm the very tail end of millennials, but millennials weren't necessarily bad, but it was the face of change, right? Millennials grew up in the, their adult lives in the time of more change than we've ever had in human history. You know, smartphones, social media, cloud computing, social progress on a lot of different fronts. And so it wasn't like millennials were in charge of making all those decisions and doing all those things. This was much older we were investing and, in, you know, politics and lobbying. But millennials represented the face of that change. And I think we have to be careful with Gen Z that we don't sort of punish them for our discomfort or resistance to broader societal and structural change when they're just sort of this fresh representative of a much larger macro trend and instead look to say, hey, how can we learn from you? You know, the reverse mentoring, listening more, right? Giving them more responsibilities sooner, letting them take risks, you know, being more flexible and tolerant. I think we need to embrace rather than resist it. Yeah. Great advice. I, I think, you know, if, if you have kids or just any teenagers in your life or early twenties, ask them, I have mine review my work all the time 
to make sure there's something I'm not saying inappropriate or missing or what perspective am I not seeing from a lens of um, their generation? So yeah, reverse mentoring, amazing, amazing idea. Well, look, you know, this is great. Uh, ben, you've been super generous with your time. Uh, once again, we appreciate that kind of your, your mid-year checkup and uh, declare the patient healthy and ready for a successful <laughs> second half of 2022. All right. so you've, got, yes. you've, got a, you've got a clean bill of health from me. Uh, so that should, uh, that should uh, carry for something. Uh, but thank you so much. The website, of course, uh, for Pilot is pilot.coach. Pilot.coach, check them out. Doing fantastic work. Like I said, multiple award winners, great technology, great service, great people, uh, awesome, great story as well. Uh, over the last few years, it's been great to be sort of in the in the cheering section for for the growth of Pilot over the years as well. So uh, Ben Brooks, thank you so much for uh, joining us uh, once again. Highlight of my morning. Thanks to you both, and appreciate your continued support. And and frankly, getting into these topics that are not the ABCs, like dumb search engine optimization content about HR and work that, you know, like this is, this is meaningful. And I think I just appreciate that the depth and that you're getting to the harder, nubbier issues, which we're not going to solve this year. Um, but let's uh, keep expecting the unexpected. Yeah. Love that. I love it. All right. Trish, great stuff, man. Love it. Love when Ben comes around and uh, it's, it's good for us. Uh, we're, we're lucky to have him as a friend of the show. Absolutely. All right. So for our guest, Ben Brooks, for Trish McFarland, thank you, of course, to our friends at Paychex. Uh, this has been At Work in America. Go to hrhappier.net for all the network shows. Subscribe, tell a friend, do all the things you do. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time.